For the last few weeks at the Sunday Masses, we've been going through St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and specifically Romans chapter 8. This is one of the most theologically important chapters in the entire New Testament, and it's worth a read in full. But I'm just going to deal with what we have this Sunday. It's easy to get lost in St. Paul's list of things, and most of the time, St. Paul really likes run-on sentences. So if I read St. Paul, my eyes start to glaze over, and I start not paying attention to what he's saying. But if we actually pay attention to this list, it's a logical progression. And I want to go through that together. Here are the words. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Again, easy to just write this off as St. Paul giving us a lot of nice words. But he's, he's going somewhere with this. So, the first word that he uses is foreknew. This is the first way in which God interacts with us. Because God is the creator of all things, including time. God is outside of time. And the only way I can conceptualize this is to think about old movie reels where you have all of these different scenes in a, in a row. If you cut up the movie so that you have all the different scenes and put them on top of each other, that's how God experiences time. He sees all events unfolding at once. And so, insofar as he creates us, he is in his time, he's outside of time, but in his experience, he's creating all of us and every moment simultaneously. Which means, from our perspective, he has foreknown us. He has known us since before anything was created, because it's all at the same time. He knows you deeply and intimately. He knows you and your past and your future. He knows your nature and your habits and your appetites better than you know yourself. God foreknows you. And there's a lot of comfort in that. Comfort in, in, in realizing that somebody has that level of intimacy with you. That the Lord, your Creator, shares with you every moment. So that's how we begin with God. With God as our Creator, as the one who knew us when He knit us together in our mother's womb. But it wouldn't mean anything if God just knew us. Because it's easy to know as an intellectual exercise. Right? I know my times tables. But what does that mean for anything? What's the purpose of that? I can use them. But if somebody knows us intimately, it means a lot more to us if they also care about us. Otherwise, it's sort of an ambivalent, like, are they good, are they evil, how are they use this information? But the one who foreknew you also predestines you. He has in mind for you a destiny. A destiny that he put in place at the moment of your creation. And that destiny, St. Paul says, is to be conformed to the image of his Son. Well, in Trinitarian theology, who is the Son? The Father is the one who loves, the Son is the one who receives the love of the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the bond of love between them. So God's destiny for you, at the moment of your creation, 
that he foreknew was that you should be in the image of his son. You should be receiving his love infinitely and eternally forever. That's a beautiful destiny. That he knows you and then desires to love you infinitely forever. What more could we ask for? But it goes further. He knows you. He desires that you should receive his love eternally. But that wouldn't matter if you didn't know it. If he didn't tell you that you were loved. Because you could go through this whole life being blessed, receiving grace, and not even realizing it. Plus, relationship is a lot more meaningful when it's two ways, not one way. And so what does he do after he knows you and he predestines you? He calls you. He calls you into that deep relationship of love that he has destined you for before all time. He says, I want you to be in relationship with me. I want you to be receptive to my love for all eternity. He calls you into grace. From a Catholic perspective, we would say, he calls you into faith, into the sacraments. He calls you into the depth of grace that he wishes for you to have. It requires your response, which is why the call is so important. If he just threw love at you, it would kind of bounce off of you. But if you've heard his call and said yes, well, then you're finally open to the eternal love that he wants to give you. He foreknew, he predestined, he called. And those he called, he also justified. We know that we are broken. Our experience of creation is of a fallen creation. We are born into a world of sin. So if God foreknew us and he predestined us to receive his love and then he called us to receive that love, but we had no way to make ourselves worthy of his love, well then we'd be stuck again. Because again, his love would bounce off of us. We would be stuck in our sin. We would put up barriers all the time to what God wants to give us. So he has to give us a way to receive that love after the call. And that's justification. The literal meaning of that word, the etymology of that word, is to make just. He gives you a way to be just, to be righteous, to be the kind of person who is worthy and dignified to receive the love of God. You can't do that on your own. This is a verb with God as the subject. He is justifying you. You are not justifying yourself. But with the call comes the justification. He wouldn't call you into something that he then makes impossible for you to achieve. He foreknew you. He predestined you. He called you and then he justified you so that you could live into that destiny. But God is so great that he doesn't even stop there. That would be enough. Just being enough to receive the love of God eternally, that would be enough. The last thing he does, according to St. Paul, is that he glorifies you. He glorifies you. Glory is a word reserved in the Old Testament for God himself. He has the, in Greek it's the doxa, the doxa. He has the glory. And it's a weighty glory. His glory is so overwhelming that nobody can look upon the face of God and live in the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, after you have been justified by the blood of Christ, you are glorified. 
you are given the characteristic that was unique to God before Christ came. You are allowed to carry in yourselves the glory of God. It's incredible. You're not just made enough. You're made transcendent. You're made brilliant. You're made miraculous and beautiful. You are made glorified. This has been the plan of God from the beginning. He has known you since the beginning of time. And His plan for you has always been, has always been, to make you like His Son so that you can receive His love for all eternity, to give you the justification necessary for that, and then through all of it to make you like Himself. What more can we ask for as Christians? What is greater than this message? Nothing. And it's because of this that St. Paul can say, the way he started our reading, he can say, We know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. If this is the plan of God for you from the beginning of time, then He is going to make every single thing in this world work to achieve that plan. And we need to be clear, St. Paul doesn't say, everything will be good for you. There will be sufferings, there will be persecutions, there will be times of anxiety and depression and grief and sadness. But even those things the Lord will use for your glorification. Because that's his plan and has been for you always. And he will let nothing get in the way of his plan. Everything works together for your good. Because God is the one who works. Finally, two notes on our gospel. I won't belabor this point, but we have to take the scriptures seriously. In this parable, when Jesus is talking about the net, and he did the same thing with the weeds and the wheat, he is making very clear to us that hell exists. We went away from that idea in our catechesis for too many years, and we've forgotten that that's a real possibility. At the end of our lives, the Lord will separate the good, the righteous, from the unjust. We have to take that seriously, because Jesus, it comes right out of his own mouth. Second, the commentator that I've read on this, uh, John Bergsma, is the commentary that I'm reading before I preach each week now. He talks about these parables, and Matthew 13, which we've been going through for a few weeks, these parables about the kingdom of God, they're all about the kingdom of God now. Jesus makes the distinction, the kingdom of God is like a net thrown into the sea, and then at the end of the age the angels will separate. Which means that when we're talking about this, we're talking about the church. And so we should take great consolation last week and this week, that when Jesus talks about the church... Even before we had the structure we do today, he knew that it would be a mixed bag. He knew that in the net there would be the good fish and there would be the bad fish. He knew that in the field there would be the wheat and there would be the weeds. And so when the church does not live up to our expectations, 
when we come face to face with the fact that the church and even her leaders are sinners who fall short of the glory that God has planned for us from the beginning of time, our consolation is in the fact that Jesus knew that was going to be the case. And he told us it was going to be the case. And he warned us it was going to be the case. And he told us, that's just how it's going to be. All right, Lord, then I guess I'm not surprised. And the consolation he gives us is that, at least at the end of time, there will be justice done. Because there will be sorting. Finally, these two parables about the field, the treasure buried in the field, and the pearl of great price... They describe to us the calling that St. Paul talks about. John Bergsman talked about these two as the experience of converts. When a convert particularly feels the call of God in their life, it's like they've discovered that treasure or that pearl. And they don't know how to tell people about it. They just go and they buy it. And I've seen this. People come across the Catholic faith, again, despite all of our failings, despite the fact that everything you hear about the church and the news should tell people to run as far away from us as they possibly can get, somehow people still find their way into our church. Because there's something here that is the pearl of great price. There is something here that is the treasure buried in the field. And we should take great inspiration from these converts because they remind us that there's something we might have forgotten. And the point that John Bergsman makes is, a lot of times to find that, you've got to be looking. The person wasn't walking past the field, they were digging in the field. This merchant wasn't just waiting for the pearl to show up, he was diligently looking and he was sorting. When people look closely, when they dig, when they search, they find these things, they find the treasure, they find the pearl. It's beautiful when they do. If you have a story like that, Please don't be afraid to tell people about it. We take inspiration from your story. Because your story is what St. Paul talks about. Your story reminds us of the plan of God that ultimately results in our glorification.